I feel very blessed to live in New York City and have an access to so many Korean restaurants that are really pushing the boundaries as well. I think what New York City Korean restaurants are doing is having a perfect balance of keeping some traditions but not being stuck in the tradition. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. James Park is a content creator and the author of Chili Crisp, a sharp look at one of America's favorite products to cook with today. On this episode, we speak with James about the different types of Chili Crisp to buy and make, as well as some unexpected discoveries he's made along the way. I hope you enjoyed my talk with James, who is definitely one of my favorite dudes in food. James Park, this is Taste. How are you doing? Good. How are you? It's so great to see you. It's been a few months. I haven't seen you in a minute. Yeah. It's kind of surreal that I'm like sitting here in a studio with you that's like not at a Korean restaurant, just like talking about Korean food and like we're actually talking about my cookbook. So I'm like very, very excited. Which is not a Korean cookbook. It's Chili Crisp and we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, We usually just dine out. We have, we'll have some barbecue or or something else. What's what's good right now in in New York Korean uh, restaurants? I, I feel. There's, we could talk about this like all hour yeah. if we want. My go to restaurant has been, okay, two. Yeah. Uh, Ari Ari. Dude. And Samujong. Those yeah. two are like both of them from Hand Hospitality, which I think it's truly the top of the class in New York City when it comes to Korean food. But those two restaurants really. For, make me forget that I'm in New York City. Like I the food it. that delivers, like truly top notch. Yeah, I I love her name is Han. I, I've always it's always yeah. been my guy. I'm I'm going to Ariari tonight randomly. Oh, oh my god, I'm so, so excited! I'm, like I, I'm excited for you yeah. because it's like I go there. Like I've been there at least like eight nine yeah. times, and every time I go there, I just get so excited. And you have to get the fried stuffed peppers. Oh, that's excellent. like a sleeper hit in my opinion that not everyone orders, but it makes me so happy. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna report back on the show. Um, Wait, before this airs or after, I don't know the order of this, but yeah. we're not going to talk about Korean food right away, but we will get there. Yes. But we're going to talk about Chili Crisp. Yeah. You've written this book called Chili Crisp, which we've talked about. It is definitely one of our favorite fall books. Yay. It's Thank you. It's amazing in all respects. It's it's really well edited and written and, and it's really tight and like mm. conceptual. But I want to know about you, James. Like, How did you come to Chili Crisp? Yeah, I mean... I feel like my journey with Chili Chris really could be turned into a movie. <laughs> uh, I think it all just started with me getting lost in the grocery store aisle in Hong Kong supermarket in Chinatown. So I wasn't really exposed to any sort of a Chinese food growing up in Alabama. Uh, but once I moved to New York City, that's when I really was exposed to so many cultural things that really got me excited. And one of my favorite things to do is like getting lost and just exploring uh, grocery aisles and Chili Crisp was one of those that really caught my attention. Um, at first, it was more like fascination of like, what is this? And like, oh, and what's so funny is like, you know, there are so many different kinds of lagama. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing was uh, it was fried chili and oil, which is not spicy Chili Crisp. Mm-hmm. So the first one that I tried, uh, I did not like it at all. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was like, oh, Maybe this is not for me. And then later I found out from my Chinese friends that, like, I tried the wrong thing and I got the lag on mine. I was like, oh, my God, what is this thing that truly exploded? 
um, my mind. And then I've been sharing my love and like enthusiasm of cooking and eating chili crisps online. And I think this really became something personal and big for me when I wrote an Eater article yeah. on the guide of ultimate like chili crisps, right. and that's like during like pandemic, everyone was kind of like feeling so. I don't know, they maybe needed some sort of spice, and there are yeah. things to like make themselves happy. Um, and that's certainly how I really like started my collection of chili crisps. Yep, yep. And I share that, and the response has been incredible. Of like, oh my god, like I also have all this different kind of collections, and like. I that's when I saw that there was a whole community and it made me really feel like this was like a perfect gateway for me to it really, really introduce is myself and like learn gateway. other people. Yeah. And honestly, Chili Crisp, we've written about it. Kathy Airway wrote a great piece for Taste in 2017 and we get into Langama and that was actually before Fly by Jing came out. Yeah. Um, you're such a social media savant. You're you're genius at it. You're really good. And I'll link to your profiles, but it seems Chili Crisp was was tailor made for for video, for short form video, yeah, because of the the color palette and mm-hmm. the texture, yeah. Um, so you clearly were were seeing what cooking with it, not just from a flavor point of view, but it was actually yeah. good. it was like entertaining almost. It was just so fun because each brand has such a different look and color, and like it has a different textures yeah. that you can see, um, and just I think me not coming up with like chili crisps from like my childhood I was able to just really push like what could be possible in my cooking I think my general cooking is like whimsical fun yeah. and kind of like boundary pushing in a way that I was really sharing like what makes me really excited to eat and I think that really stuck with a lot of people. Let's go over some of the the chili crisps because you mentioned Langama alone had, has different varieties but like how is chili crisp different from, from brand brand i mean yeah what like, what are you looking at when you're thinking about judging a chili crisp yeah this is like when i get really nerdy about this, that's what chili we're here crisps. for um, so there are two things that you should look at oil and oil to crisp ratio Mm-mm. so each brand has a different ratio of oil and chili crisp so for example fly by jang has more oil than the crisp but if you just kind of like stir around from the bottom you can definitely see it but when you finish on the drizzle uh, i think the oil kind of comes out uh faster and just kind of like uh, it covers like yeah. the food but if you look at lao gama chili, spicy chili crisp it's heavily crisp and you can like hear the crunchy sound and i don't think it's one of those you can even get the oil like because no. all you're getting is like just pure you're like mining crunch. it's like you're like yeah. like from the exactly. 1800s in california you're yeah. like mining for but it but when it hits the heat it definitely releases yeah. the oil so like when you're cooking with uh yeah. lao gama chili crisp you definitely get the flavor of oil and all the brands have like their own unique uh, blend of a different flavoring and oil and how you cook each brand comes out with a completely different result and like I think yeah. that really gave me excitement of like oh my god like even though I am cooking with chili crisps the final result and the final tasting experience is so different yeah. and it just get it kept me buying more and more and I would use like different kinds of chili crisps for different purposes so I would like cook with uh, uh, Lagama chili crisps but I will finish with Fly by Jang yeah. and I will constantly get recommended by different brands and there are just truly so many different kinds of chili crisps I mean crisps there's a lot there during the pandemic they, they a lot of companies just started making their own leads to my next question 
what's cool about the book is it's not just about cooking with these products you buy in grocery store or via, via Amazon. Yeah. You're making your own. So you've yeah. got recipes. The first recipe mm-hmm. in the book is like making your own. So for our listeners, why is it worth making your own when you've got all these great products? Like, I think making my own was not even something that I thought about before I got this cookbook. But I felt like if I'm going to make a cookbook about that, I feel like I needed to have a chili crisp that really represented my stories and flavors. So I, after tasting like 20 plus different chili crisp jars, I knew what I wanted in my chili crisp, what I didn't want. So the very first thing was I wanted to be very crisp forward. Uh, and I also wanted to capture the flavors of Korean food in a way that I couldn't really get from other chili crisp. Uh, I think chili crisp inherently being Chinese traditional condiment, a lot of flavors are something that I enjoy, but I couldn't really apply to Korean cooking. So I had a mission of like, if I'm going to make a chili crisp, I want this to go along with Korean food. It's so cool. And I drew inspiration from like my Korean cooking technique. So the base is a scallion garlic gochujang oil. Mm -hmm. So I like make an infused oil. And then I have three different blends of uh, chili flakes, gochugaru, which is a Korean red pepper flakes, and Sichuan pepper flakes. That is not mala and tingly. To be honest, I do not like... uh, I can't really enjoy the tingling sensation yeah, it a as much. much. And, and yeah, the it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, but the Sichuan pepper flakes really has a like mm-hmm. a clean, um, spicy taste that doesn't have a tingling taste. And the third pepper flakes is. Um, Aleppo pepper flakes that really create beautiful jewel-like uh, red color. So with the blend of that and all the other seasoning, when I taste it, I think that's when I had a moment of like, wow, this is something special that I th- I feel like I'm onto something. Yeah, it's like hybridized in a way. And, and it, it's interesting you bring it up. Like a Korean cuisine doesn't have really yeah. chili crisp. It's, it's you know, in, in Japanese cuisine, there's, there's, there's a garlic crisp, which yeah. is part of ramen mm-hmm. and noodle service. And then, of course, chili crisp from Chengdu and Sichuan right. and other parts of China. But you created this hybridized version. Yeah. Um, and are you feeling like the way your recipe is written, it, it leans more towards the Korean palate a little I bit more? I think these are definitely the recipes, especially in the book, that I cook with chili crisp. So there are like half of Korean recipes yeah. and there's a lot of like just pasta recipes. And yeah. I think I what you think about this chili crisp cookbook is like, more of a possibilities that you can do with the jar of chili crisp beyond just finishing on top of like your fried eggs or avocado toast. And I think a lot of people are definitely getting into using that. But like from my point of view, they kind of put chili crisp in a box in a mm-hmm. way like how and when it's going to be yeah. used. It's mostly using Asian food. It's mostly using Chinese food, finished on top of noodles and dumplings. Yeah. But you can go so much more beyond that and... I think that's what I'm trying to like really tell people, hey, you can make fuck we can make brownies with yeah. these. You can make pound cake with this. And, yeah, no, it's yeah. it's really cool that you're trying to break borders a little bit with your recipe development. And also some of the pairings I I, I marked potato chips, uh B E C bacon, egg and cheese, silken tofu, cheeseburgers. Oh, so good. Like, I mean, yes. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. You're like permission to use chili crisp on cheeseburgers. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about how you're thinking about pairing. What are you looking to do with the chili crisp when you're pairing it with these with these um, ideas and these recipes? Yeah, I think one of the best pairings that I have 
was with Popeyes. Yeah. Uh, so I had I make this like a Popeye sandwich with the biscuit. So yeah. what I do is I take off like the skin of the Popeye, so you just get the crispy part. Yeah, and then usually it's thigh pieces, so you like kind of shred those. Is there thigh any pieces. other choice? You have to go dark meat. I don't meat know. With Popeyes. I feel like you have to get the thighs. Who gets or, like, white meat at Popeyes? I don't even think it's available. Oh, actually, I hate the really large chunk of like chicken breast. I usually use who it get, just who like eats that. I don't. I just use that into like. Maybe Maybe like in the salad. time machine from like 1985, yeah, people eat you're that. You're not there. That's why Jollibee is like, you know, they yeah. only serve like the thighs. All and dark legs. everything. Yeah. Jollibee. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Going back to the sandwich moment. So uh, I take, so, and I get the that buttery, warm biscuit. And I smear a lot of like mashed potato on the bottom. And I put the shredded chicken meat. And I finish with, I cl- almost like close that with the chicken skin and close that with the top of biscuit yeah. and finish with a drizzle of chili crisp. And that was like yeah. mind blown in a way that I wanted to like write a letter to the CEO of Popeyes. I like, please make this a thing. Yeah. And then that's kind of what really launched my wild ideas of like pairing. And I I almost think of like pairing chili crisps as like butter, you know, so like there's a saying that butter makes everything better and there is not a single food group or dish that butter cannot enhance the flavors and I think chili crisps can really do that in a way that if the dish is a little too rich like you can bring the spice if it needs some sort of a crunch of it uh, chili crisps can yeah. do that and it just has so many like versatile usage in a way that I feel like it's one of those like um, one of those like Pokemon that can like transform into (laughs) like the flavors and the forms depending on where it's used. Let's go back to your time living in America. You dedicate the book to your American family, your your family in Alabama, in the American South. And I want to hear a little bit about what was food like growing up when you lived in Alabama and the American South? Yeah, I think that's when I really learned a lot about traditional American food. Uh, that's when I first tasted roast chicken. Um, that's when I first tasted like potato salad and like you know the true southern food like peach crumbles and so um my american mom who i call princess she was an extremely amazing good cook who taught me everything about like julia child and like roasted potatoes and one food group that i will never forget is my american grandma sally she is known for pickled okra And I have not tasted anything better than her pickled okra till now because, you know, I I compare those pickled okra as like Lay's potato chips. Like you hear the crunch. Mm -hmm. It's so crunchy. It's like perfectly tangy, acidic, uh, salty bites that I actually asked a whole mason jar of pickled okra as my birthday gift. And she gave it to me. And it was like one of the best birthday gifts ever. And without them, I don't think I would really have a sense of of what American food was like, but thanks to them, like, I think I have a better sense of, like, the what true American comfort food tastes like. Yeah. And it's certainly different from what I grew up with, but I have this side that I can truly appreciate things like buttermilk pie and all those yeah. traditional Southern recipes that's passed like down. Like real traditional, them. not like the fusion stuff. Yeah, no. like, oh my God, I also remember, like, tasting buttermilk pie for the first yeah. time. That recipe was passed down from, like, you know, princesses, like, older grandma and all of that. And when I tasted it, it was like, oh, just, I felt like I was melting into that slice of butter 
powder mill. As an aside, are you intrigued by Bama Rush and that whole meme happening? I mean, you lived in Alabama for is that your was high my school life. years. Yeah, your high school years. Yeah, were... that was actually my life. And it's really funny. To <laughs> that think was your about. life. <laughs> it's really funny to think about. I was like consulting with my girlfriends about mm-hmm. being so stressed about like sororities and like all those like uh, football games and. So my school's cheerleaders like took pictures with the cows mm. before the school game because our school was like in the middle of the cow farm. Yeah. And all this pepperoni and like, you know, the weekend of like mudding and going to Sonic after a football game. Like I can't believe Pebble ice that with I Sonic. Yeah. Oh, it's so go. good. It's so good. I can't believe that I actually had that life before my life in New York City. And as I'm like meeting new people, talking about my past, they're all looking at me like what what are you talking about? Yeah, it's definitely yeah. like a movie. I mean, and and I want to go back even further, and we're going to call this the Korean food right. section of the of the interview because you were born in Pohang, you yeah. moved to Alabama for high school, and then you ended up in New York City after high school. Yeah. But you went, you grew up in, in Pohang, which is you know the center of the steel industry and the auto industry in Korea. Yeah. Um, it's a part of Korea that I don't think it's mentioned as much as other parts like Seoul and Busan and even uh, Jolido. Yeah. But I've been to Pohang. I know you're literally the very first person that I ever met who visited. I remember the very first time we met. We met, yeah. Uh, you were telling me how you ate whale meat, I which did. is one of those delicacies uh, in my hometown. Yep. And it truly shocked me that I met so many Korean people, Korean chefs who live in New York City, and most of them are from Seoul and yeah. not even close to like the region that I was from. I know. So meeting you and like having such a personal story that you could share that I can relate, I will never forget the moment. That was magical. It, it was really cool to talk yeah. about Pohang because I really did love Pohang. Yeah. And James, tell us a little bit more about growing up in Pohang and what the food was like yeah. and some of the other delicacies um, on the coast. You know, it's on the coast, yeah. right? It's on the uh, the eastern coast. Yeah, yeah. It's a so, different part of Korea. Uh, if you look at Korea as the shape of a tiger, I think there has been some different stories about whether it's a shape of rabbit or a tiger, but I always think it's a tiger. And Pohang is the tail end of it. So we are surrounded by ocean. Uh, always easy access to fresh seafood. Um, so I think one of the things that I missed the most about growing up in Pohang is the easy access of sashimi that we call hae. Uh I would just go out to eat. My parents, my family just had like a weekly outing of eating hae, and it was just so fresh and tasty. And my mom was somehow connected to all this like uh, not so well-known places. So like we would like drive like an hour away and like we would eat the plate of of freshest head that like the owner like caught earlier today and I don't think any other places in Korea really appreciated the like head the way locals in Pohang did and that's how the whole culture of mulhae which yeah. is like the spicy uh like a sashimi mm-hmm. salad thing and like um I, that's like one thing that I don't get at all by living in New York City. I can definitely yeah, go Mohue, to... Yeah, Mohue, like oh my with God. Chojang. No, like you're not getting yeah. Mohue uh, at all. And also just tank restaurants, which, you know, is so common. In yeah. Mohue is and not the really preparation and the texture. Yeah. And like, I think... Also, like the whole eating sashimi in Korea is an experience on its own. It's yeah. not just a platter of sashimi. You get a platter of head. You get so many different kinds of side dishes. And you always end it with a plate of meontang yep. with all the fish bones. And it's truly a feast. And 
by growing up in Pohang, I have just so many memories of like my family celebrating birthday anniversaries at those not so well known hwejib. Yeah. Um, and that's like the first thing that I look forward to when I visit my Yeah, family. the hwejib is, is, is like so different from like the Korean barbecue restaurant that oh, so yeah. many Americans and, and listeners may uh, associate with Korean cuisine. Hue uh, is such a different, Absolutely. but also iconic in Korea because it is a peninsula. There is a lot of seafood there. Yeah. Um, and I love that you're talking so beautifully about Hue because it's really one of those beautifully only in Korea dishes. Yes. Very different from Japan. Very different from um, sashimi. The whole experience of having Hue is very unique in Korea. And depending on which part of Korea that you visit, the way they prepare is slightly different. The type of fish that's available is different. One thing that I haven't really experienced is Hongo. Uh, yeah. I don't know what Hongo is in English, but it's like a fermented uh Skate, it's skate, skate. Yeah. so it's fermented skate yeah, that's been yeah. thrown in, it's basically skate that's been thrown into a bucket right and it's like very ammonia for taste that people either love it or hate it and it's usually paired with like a very fermented kimchi yep. and like Makunji. a slice of like a pork belly mm-hmm. or like the triple flavor combination and that is very uh, popular on the west coast yep. of Korea but not so popular in east coast so I get so excited about learning about Korean food and I only know what I grew up with and like as I get exposed to more of a rich food cultures in different parts of Korea I am happy that, you know, um, I, at least I have this, like, happy memories of, like, hey, and growing up yeah. in Pohang. And we have the biggest, like, market in it's... the East Coast side called Chukdo Market. Yep. And just the sightseeing of, like, raw octopus, like, crawling on the floor and, like, the shouting of different prices and... Yeah, I, it's a cool place. It's I've been incredible. there. It's, now, I want to ask you about Korean food's rise in the past decade. Um, it's been meteoric, and we just were talking about Ariari, but like in New York, there's a dozen new Korean American restaurants. Um, I think the rise has actually been really rapid in the yeah. past three years, uh, basically during the pandemic and now post pandemic, mm-hmm. we've seen this incredible in, this interest in Korean cooking in like a, on a global scale. So James, let's let's give me some thoughts on on this living in New York during this time and this rise of Korean food. I feel very blessed to live in New York City and have an access to so many Korean restaurants that are really pushing the boundaries as well. And I think what New York City Korean restaurants are doing is having a perfect balance of keeping some traditions but not being stuck in the tradition. So when you look at Ariari, the roots are definitely the flavors and dishes that are uh, popular in Busan. But the type like fried stuffed peppers that are lamb, it's like ground lamb stuffed fried peppers with uh, this yogurt chimichurri sauce. And that is like the perfect harmony of like New York uh, and different influences with like Korean roots in it. And I think a lot of Korean restaurants are also understanding that they're in New York and they're they kind of have this permission to be more playful mm-hmm. with their presentation and different inclusion of um, 
um, like ingredients. So one of the newly opened Korean restaurant called Seoul Salon. Yeah. Uh, I love that place. It's opened by the team from Attaboy, Chef JP and Ilya. And the type of dishes that they offer is so creative in a way. They have anchovy pasta as one of the yeah. anju. They have like mala pork belly. So all of those definitely scream Korean, but not like what you will find in like Koreatown in LA, yeah. where it's more tradition. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's like light years behind in, in yeah. a way that's, I think, with full respect, I mean, it's definitely more of that like 1980s, 1990s yeah. Koreatown, and New York is like the future, and Seoul is even more the future. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, when I was in Seoul earlier this year, yeah. um, it's so beautiful to be back there yeah. at different stage of my life. Earlier when I was, like, a student, I never really saw the culture of, like, food and restaurants. I just went to wherever my parents took me. But now I have my own, like, palettes of what I'm looking yeah. for. And I can choose what I want to eat. You got a little bit more money, too. And more money to spurge. And, yeah. and it, like, the diversity of, like, food in Seoul, and, like, I experienced mingles for the first yeah. time. That was true mind-blowing experience of, like, this is, like, the fact that Korean food can be presented in such a beautiful way and can give me this kind of, like, a luxury experience that I never thought about, while after that, I can just, like, go get, like, a dollar, you know, uh, uh, like chicken on a skewer and and all of that really like make me happy oh in a gosh. way that like in a different way and they're always like coming up with new trends and new flavor profile and oh yeah every 18 every, months it's yeah flipping. every month and yeah like, eight, I, every month yeah. yeah there's like a new flavor combination that yeah. like I'm, it's, it's never cool. it's never old so listener if you're if you're into this conversation and I hope you are and you're, you're this far I mean there's a lot more to be said about Seoul and, and Dookie Hong in my book Korea World will be out next spring, and and I plan to bring on many from the book um, into the studio. Uh, James, we we'll call this the kickoff yeah. for for Korea World because it's we went to Seoul several times, and it's man, it's it's we have I a love whole section following about your that. adventures in Seoul. Too. It's fun. Yeah. Um, let's get back to you and and hear about. Um, some Korean dishes. I gotta get a sense. What's your what is your go to Korean comfort dish for home mm. for making at home? I think my go to comfort food is kerambab, like the egg rice, yeah. um, and that is probably the first dish that I ever learned how to cook. And my mom didn't cook a lot, but she made the best egg rice till now that something about her like that we call so much like the mm -hmm. hand taste oh, yeah. that her ratio was just so perfect and the way she mixed it with each grain of rice was amazing and I forgot about it because it's like one of those like oh not like a glorified Korean dish. You make it in the microwave? Uh, no I actually I just like mix it with uh, like rice yeah. but um, so when, it's egg and rice. Yeah but when I gave my chili crisp twist on that mm -hmm. and like it was like a crazy experience of tasting who I am now, but with like beautiful nostalgic memories in the past that I feel like that really became a new like go-to yeah. Korean comfort yeah. food now. I love it. A few more Korean questions. So what's your go-to Korean dish for a dinner party? I always make cheonggol, mm -hmm. which is like the Korean casseroles. I think that's a... Very easy to put together because you're basically cooking on the table. Yeah. All you need to do is just assemble different ingredients. And it's kind of like a 
stunner slash like a show-stopping dish that you're just bringing a large pot of stuff and like you can talk and it's kind of communal and there are so many different kinds of jungle. You can do it with dumplings. You can make it with chicken. And I don't think people really know about this whole culture of Korean casserole. Oh, yeah. Jungle, like the Korean style hot pot, uh, you could yeah, say, in a way. It's fantastic. And it's perfect for dinner purpose. I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. What's the great slept on Korean dish? Meaning it hasn't really been given its time in America mm. that you would love to, to give it some, some, some moments. It's kamjatang, which is a pork bun stew. Like I that I ate a lot of those when I was in Korea earlier this year, and it's that perilla nutty flavor yeah, of, of the broth and the meat that's like a pork bone. So like it's not. I think a lot of this is my observation in a way that um, a lot of Americans are kind of. They are scared of do some work to get the meat out. We're talking about like yeah. fish. We're not or meat on the bone, guys. Meat. And like yeah. you really have to like suck the meat out of the bones and like you have to like really get handsy with it. But I don't think a lot of them are into that. They want it to be like the bone and just like eat easy. Yeah. But you, we all know that the meat that's stuck on the bone tastes the, it's best. the best. And yeah. yeah, anyone who knows who's listening to the show, I mean, Ganja Tongue is my number one guy. Like oh, it is so good. You know, potatoes, pork, yeah. uh, you know, perilla seeds, black pepper. Yeah. But the per, even though like the name says Kamja, which means right. like potatoes, they're Kamja, like potatoes are not the star. The pork yeah. bones and the broth. And like you add like ramen noodles at the end or you make the fried rice at the end. There's like a whole oh, three yeah, different yeah, yeah. You courses. You can do like jungle. Yeah. You can do like so much more than that and hopefully more restaurants that specialize in kamjatang open love, in America. Yeah, this hand will do a kamjatang restaurant and it'll oh, yeah. I'll be like lining up. Oh my um hey man, are you going to write a Korean cookbook? What's going on? Are you going to do it? I feel like this is my Korean cookbook. Sure. Yeah, because fair. um I like at it. first this I didn't really think of this as a Korean cookbook, but as I started developing recipes and as I share my Korean chili crisp recipe there, I think this really captures how Korean I am and how I can really infuse my Koreanness through the lens of chili crisp. And I hope this inspires people to like look into Korean food and Korean cuisine in a new perspective and hope they can explore on their own. I love that sentiment, how Chili Crisp is also a Korean cookbook as well. So I'm into that, James. And I, I feel you've got a bright feature with cookbooks. I love your book. It's, Thank you it's, so much. It's wonderful. So back to Chili Crisp. Um, we often forget about the, the last recipe in a cookbook. And I want to take this time to give yours a shine. So on page 169, there's a recipe for spicy salted caramel chocolate bars. Let's talk about that. I love this I love this idea. Yeah, that was a fun recipe to develop. Um, dessert chapter in general was a tough challenge for me because, you know, chili crisp, a lot of people only think of it as a savory. Yeah. Um, but it can also be like a dessert forward uh, chili crisp. So if you were to apply savory chili crisps into dessert recipes, you are not going to get all the dessert flavors because that, you know, black beans or scallion garlic flavors overpower any sort of sweetness. So what I did with this was to develop a new chili crisp that was specifically designed to go along with dessert. So I stripped down all the mm-hmm. savory elements like garlic and scallion. I just came, I just picked the true 
elements that make chili crisp. So chili flakes, salt, sugar, oil, and a variety of nuts. And those nuts really add that like nutty flavors and textures to dessert. And for that last ch- for that last dessert, I incorporate that into two different layers. I have a spicy caramel layer and I have the chocolate layer that both have uh, chili crisp in it. And because the sweetness level for caramel and the chocolate ganache are different, when it's like paired with that salty graham cracker Mm -hmm. um, layer. And when you take that like bite of three different things, three different textures, it's truly like heaven in your mouth that I got so excited. But I had no one to share that with (laughs) anyone. So I hope more people make this. And like it's a really, really good dessert for a party because it makes like a big uh, batch. And I hope you shared a spicy joy with people. I love that, James. Has it made its uh, TikTok debut, this dish? Uh, not yet, but yeah. all of these dishes will definitely get a little love on my social media. Little social media. Yeah. What do you think about salsa matcha? Have you have you like thought about that as like a you know extension of the chili crisp? Multiverse. Yeah, I think it's a part of the chili crisp multiverse. I love that word. Um, I think that really shows that each culture has their own version of spicy condiment or like chili crisp. Mm-hmm. And the way they incorporated Mexico that. Mexico yeah, is. is like Mexico and like tacos and like how it's essential and like a very important condiment into their cuisine. I think it inspires me to see so much more potentials and possibilities that we can do with chili crisp. And I want to learn more about how how they make it and how that culture incorporates yeah. salsa matcha into their food so that it can kind of open up the new world of chili crisp. I love me. it. I can't wait to cook from your book. I'm, I'm just a fan. Thank you so much. On This Is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, James, here's a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? I'm so ready. All right. The best am pastry with coffee. Mm, I think it's croissant. Yeah. Yeah. You not, you can't beat that fresh cup of coffee with like yeah. flaky warm croissant. Flaky and buttery. So uh, the best dessert hands down. Um, Bass cheesecake. Yeah, definitely. I man. love it. And, and I also um, love making it in air fryer. Yeah. I think like not many people know that you can make the most perfect Bass cheesecake yep. in the air fryer. And I also incorporate chili crisps into that. And it's phenomenal. Yeah, it had a big moment in Korea too, the Bass cheesecake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's pretty- so good. The best bread. Uh, milk bread for sure. Oh, yeah, def. Yeah. The most underappreciated food in Korea. Mm, I think sundae. Yeah, like sundae the blood Korean sausage. blood sausage. Yeah. Uh, the idea, the name of it definitely doesn't sound appetizing, yeah. but there are so many different kinds of sundae too. Like some yeah. sundae have like more blood, some sundae have more noodles. And yeah. as I got exposed to a variety of sundae, I'm just like fast. There's like a sundae omakase place in Seoul. That's cool. Yeah. Where? What's it called? I forget. I love the, this idea. Yeah, but like there's a sundae omakase, omakase that you're tasting six different That's kinds and preparation of sundae. It. And and you pair it with like different soju. I'm like, that's that's what I want to experience. Did you make it to Mangtan, the the live no, barbecue? No, because it's fire? so hard to get in there. I tried that like five times. You tried five times. Was, yeah. So honestly, I I mean, I got lucky. I just got there early. I got there like at two and put my name. Oh, on okay. And came back at five. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the strategy. I don't know, man. It was. I luck. really want to eat that. It's a cool place. I can't yeah. wait to to go back. All right. So, what is the most underappreciated food in Koreatown, meaning Korean communities in America? Mm. I think gopchang. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's the same idea of like intestine, you yeah. know, like all the blood sausage. Um, it's so important and like treasured in Korean food and culture. Oh my God, yeah. But not many people really go for that. And when you taste that grilled, uh, like intestine that has a char and like has a perfect chewiness, but like explosion of like amazing fat and like, and when you wrap that with like spicy noodles, oh yeah, that's I love the perfect that move. bite. Yeah, like agadashi in LA and young mani in yeah. LA. I really want to explore explore those uh, old school those places. Yeah, dope. spots in LA that serve gopchang. Yeah, gopchang, great call, James. I'm glad you you came to play with this one. I love that call. The most underrated piece of kitchen equipment. Underrated. Um, I think microplane. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just has so much usage and beyond just getting zest of lemon. Um, I think Frankie Gao, who made the viral recipe of like uh, shaving fruit, shaving fruit. And like now that has inspired so many people to go beyond that. I saw people uh, doing frozen cucumber and like shaving frozen tomatoes. And you can shave anything you want. Now you can shave butter and like the type of textures that you're getting from using and grading from microplane is so unique that I think more people should use it. I agree. It's a good call and like I feel microplane like invest in that stock yeah like, people are buying microplanes left and right it's it's a good call what's the most overrated piece of kitchen equipment then garlic press yeah <laughs> like I don't I don't really like the single use yeah. equipment and I don't understand why that needs to be a thing like, it's, it's for it's for it's for for play-doh for young children yeah use, and use like it. it's getting stuck inside yeah. of that and like you have to clean it like oh, yeah. isn't it much easier to just like chop it and yep. like I, I or don't microplane know. it how about like, that exactly you yeah. can just use that your favorite New York City restaurant right now Yes, Hamujang and Ariari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to get uh, fried stuffed peppers from Ariari, yeah. and you have to get the soy marinated crabs in Hamujang. Ah, oh my god! Like, I will, I, can, I will never forget the bite. Like, so Hamujang is well known for, or their signature dish is Seoul style bulgogi, which yeah. is like less of a brothy. It's like cooked in this amazing pan. But their kanjanggejang, mm-hmm. they use Korean crabs, which yeah. is very. Wait, they, they, they ship them in. They I don't know their the secret, Airlines. but I got a confirmation that they use <laughs> Korean crabs, and that's why it tastes so so different from anything that you will ever eat in New York City because a lot of New York City restaurant use just blue crabs. Yeah. Which, you know, it's great, but like you are never going to get that. They can be a little bleachy, buttery. Yeah. yeah, Like a bone marrow, like incredible crab flavors. And I, I, Oh my god! Yeah, like you get Gunja Gijan in Seoul, it's like eighty thousand won, which is like you know seventy, eighty bucks, and but it's worth it. It's yeah, such a good. We dish. were saying that this Gunja Gijan could be served in Korea, and people will line up. People line. Yeah. Um, great tips there. A few more of these. Your favorite cookbook of all time? Mm, I think it was Mangchi's Big Book of Korean Food because I always. I was envious of those who grew up with their mom teaching them how to cook. Uh, my mom was not that person. Mm-hmm. And Mangchi was definitely the person who, like, showed me how to cook a lot of traditional cooking. Uh, and her cookbook just has such a variety of different things. And it really brought me back to that 
childhood of like, oh, I forgot about this. Just, oh, I forgot about this panchan. And it's truly an encyclopedia for whether you grew up with Korean food or not. And I think her cookbook is incredible. We all bow down to the gomanji. Yeah, of we course. Love her. Great call. Uh, your favorite recent cookbook discovery? I uh, really enjoy um, Abby's cookbook, Mayumi. Yeah. Mayumu? Yeah. And what I love about her cookbook and cooking is What's like. What's it called? Mayumu? Yeah, Mayumu. Yeah, it's yeah. Mayumu, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's her whimsical idea of incorporating savory ingredients into dessert. And I love when people push the boundaries of what desserts or what one can be and how she uses bay leaf infused butter into her chocolate chip cookie. And that adobo chocolate chip cookie yep. was so delicious. And there's so many recipes in her cookbook that make me like salivate. Yeah, it's like Filipino pastries. Yeah, the, Filipino the, the idea pastry. of this this book and, and we've talked about on the show. It's, it's so good. great. Um, a few more. If you could write a single subject cookbook about another food or another concept, what would that be? I think it would be noodle cookbook. Yeah? I, I mean, noodle is just, yeah. there's a form of noodle in every different culture. Yeah. And I think it would be really fun to explore how different each culture's noodle interpretation is, but also the similarities. Like, I want to, like, mix and match, like, a very traditional Italian pasta with, like, Vietnamese pho. And, like, how about that? Like, just kind of... Pho rigatoni. Yeah, I mean, you can prepare uh, Asian noodles in the pasta way, and, like, you can serve angel hair into, like, pho broth and yeah. all those different ways of using noodles. And I think they'll be really fun. To I explore. love that idea. I, I would love for the, the kind of cultures to be mashed up yeah. in, your, in your brain. Last one, your favorite sandwich. Uh, just a big... Italian sandwiches yeah. that has like, you know, layers of moradella, like cold cuts. Yeah. And that's a thing that you can't really get outside of like America. No. Yeah. And it's so easy to find, especially in New York City. But like it's just the satisfying of that perfect balance of a salty, crunchy vegetables and meat and that crusty bread and like oh, how man. it just like forms it all together in a perfect bite. You can't top that. I love it so much. James Park, thank you so much for joining This Is Taste. Thank you so much. This was a spicy conversation. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 